Father, we thank you that you have provided for us a guidebook, a direction in which to head, something that is just full of the wisdom of the ages. We thank you for your servants like Paul, who took the time and wrote down so many letters. We pray, Lord, that the things that are hard for us to understand, you would enlighten us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would just dwell inside to the point of overflowing, that our understanding would be complete and that our love would spill over to others. And Father, we know that you desire this and we ask that you would accomplish it in us. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. One other thing before I get started here. Uh, Today, uh, I'm meeting with the elders and we're discussing just stuff in the church and praying for you guys and things like that. But afterwards, I have a chance to meet with Omar Muhammad. Omar Muhammad is from... Somalia and he speaks four languages and lives in University City and he is a security guard at a place where I work and we had a long discussion yesterday about the Quran about the Bible about Jesus being a prophet and he wants me to come back today and talk to him so I would ask that you would just you know pray for wisdom for me, that I'd be able to show them, you know, what the Quran says as opposed to the Bible. And I know this can be a long-term endeavor. This isn't something where I expect him to just fall on his knees and ask for the grace of God to come into his life and he receives salvation, goes back and ministers to his entire family and goes, talks to his sheikh and gets his sheikh saved. I, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting that. I'm just expecting to be able to plant the seed or water a seed that is already in him and that he may come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So if you would remember to pray for that after church today, I would appreciate that. Now we are currently in Hebrews chapter 4, so if you'd please turn there. And I'm going to back it up just a little bit into Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 16. Hebrews 3, verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And then in chapter 4, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared all. On oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Now keep in mind, the Jews are the ones who are being addressed here. And they have a history 
going all the way back to Moses and wandering through the wilderness. And they ended up wandering in that wilderness because they did not trust God for what was ahead in the promised land. It goes on to say in verse 6, it still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so he's making this comparison about the Jews never entering the rest. They had a chance back then to enter God's rest, to trust him going into the promised land. And he's saying that day is still today. Those people who are in Judaism, who came to faith in Christ, wanting to go back to Judaism, he goes, no, today is the day to enter rest with Jesus Christ. You don't have to go back to the old ways. We'll get to it in a little bit, but the Jews were wondering would it have been better to go back to Egypt and be under Pharaoh under that enslavement rather than being the wilderness. And that's in the book of Numbers, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it goes on. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day that remains then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Now, if you just took this passage and you started reading it, you would say, what in the world is he talking about? This entering this rest, what, what rest is he talking about? And he makes reference to the commandment, what is the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And on that day, you're not to do any work, any labor whatsoever. And the person that did was to be cut off from their people, right? Cut off from the Jews. And so he makes reference to that. It's the Sabbath. Now, of the Ten Commandments, which one do you think we can throw out? None of them. Well, why don't we keep the Sabbath, which is Saturday? It's because Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. If we accept Christ, his salvation that he has for us, we rest. Well, what do we rest from? Our Sabbath rest is receiving salvation, that we are able to rest from our sin. God takes the power of sin, which is death. When we sin, we fall under the judgment of God, which is death. This is like the rest number one. This is the primary one that we come to. If there's an altar call or an invitation is given to follow Christ, it, it has to come under the auspices or the guise or the, the standard that we are all sinners. And because we are all sinners, God says we are all, as a human race, under judgment. And we have to say to God, forgive me my sins. Because there's always this striving, there's always this battle that we know we're under judgment. And the world knows it's under judgment. They know when they're doing wrong. God says he has revealed that to us. He has placed that in us. When we know it's wrong to murder somebody. Just inherently, it is in us. We know that it's wrong to take something from somebody else. Unless somebody is psychotic and they, they have a problem in their mind, like the person, maybe you've seen some of the news reports, somebody goes down the street and they just start stabbing people, Right? They're crazy. I understand that. 
I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the normal, if there is such a thing, the normal person who is out there. We have an understanding of what sin is. And when we get to the general revelation of God, we understand we're under judgment for that. And so we have to say, God, please give me rest from this. And when we accept Jesus Christ, we enter that Sabbath rest. We rest from our toil. God forgives us. But he goes on to talk about a second rest here. And that is, the first one is the rest of like of salvation. The next one is the rest of of submission. That's a term that I use. The rest of submission is the people were supposed to enter the promised land. First, they are brought out of Egypt, right? They came out of Egypt and they were rescued from bondage in Egypt. The bondage was the judgment of sin, which is the power of sin is death, right? They were rescued from that. They were taken away from that. But then God says, okay, now I want you to enter into a rest, not the Sabbath rest, but a rest of submission, which means they would cross the Jordan River and go into the land of Canaan. Now, I think we have made a big mistake in Christendom considering the promised land heaven. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land was Canaan for the Jews. What happened when they eventually crossed, the next generation crossed the Jordan River and they got into Canaan? What happened to them? Trials, wars, battles, subduing the land, but going in the power of God, right? They did not trust that God was going to deliver their enemies into their hands when they crossed over the Jordan. And so for us, the same thing applies. We have passed from death unto life, from this judgment unto being in the blessed presence of God. We have his Holy Spirit, and we will eventually be glorified with him. So let me just kind of set the stage here. We have this rest that we enter, which is the Sabbath rest. Our rest is in Christ. That is why we don't have to keep the Sabbath law. But we do fulfill it if we are in Christ. We are keeping the Sabbath if we are in Christ. The second one is the submission to Christ. Just as the Jews went across the Jordan River and into the promised land which is Canaan, they had tremendous trials. I mean, the the sin of Achan, you know, all that stuff. When he took the devoted things to God, he buried him in his tent, and, and people died as a result of that. And they had continual issues. And, and then they would fight back and forth and some battles, they, most all the battles they would win, but there were conditions for that and they had to be worshipers of God and eventually they fell into disobedience, but that was all in the promised land. For us as Christians, that can be related to, there's two ways to look at this. <clears throat> God's word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, which we'll get to in this chapter. But there's one way to look at it is, Some people come to salvation, but they never become disciples. What do I mean by that? That is the person that says, I'm a Christian. I went forward. I've accepted Christ. But you know, I don't go to church very much. I'm going to give you an example of this, a real life example. There's a man who goes to the corner over here of Maine and Woodside. And he sits in a chair with an umbrella. And he has this 
placard. And it says, The Rapture. September what, for those of you who have seen it? September 23rd. The rapture is going to happen September 23rd. And he sits out there, usually in the afternoon. And I see him all the time. You know, I drive up to that intersection. I turn down Woodside and I come up the street. And I see him sitting over there. I go, rapture, September 23rd. And you can look it up on the internet. And he says, it's the alignment of the stars that are out there. And it's never happened before. And the rapture is going to happen then. Where is that exactly in scripture? It's not there, right? Well, Patty and I, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, but we were out here after church. We had stayed behind, and we went outside, and I was putting things in the trunk of the car, and he comes walking by. And so he, I, I see him. I, I recognize who he was, and he's walking by, and he walks past us. Then he turns around, and he comes back to us. And he says, hey, you know about the rapture? I said, I most certainly do. Uh, and, and so we, we started this conversation. And he told me it's going to happen September 23rd. And I said, really? September 23rd? He goes, yeah. And he talks about this alignment. I forget exactly what he said, but it's on the Internet. I could go back and look it up. And I said, I tell you what, after a little long, elongated conversation, I said, I tell you what, September 24th, I want you to come here. I'll be here. And I want you to talk to me. He goes, it's not going to happen. I said, oh, just in case. He goes, no, there's no in case. It's not going to happen. I said, let me ask you another question. I said, where do you fellowship? He goes, I don't. I, I said, why don't you go to church somewhere? He goes, because the church is an evil organization, the 501c3s, it's run by the government. You know, and I, I could start to say, no, wait a second. God sets up the governments, all of them. He has set them up. He has placed the people in power and we're supposed to be submissive to them unless it is immoral or illegal in the eyes of God, which would be immoral. And I didn't want to get into an elongated more conversation with them. And so I just encouraged him one last time on the 24th. Unfortunately, I'm going to be out of town on the 24th, but on the 24th, <laughs> that, that just came about this last couple of days. But, you know, I'm, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to be raptured, you know, I'm not even going to be here. <laughs> but, you know, I want to talk to this guy. I'm going to go give him my card and I'm going to want to talk to him and let him know that he is in error. Now, he's going to reject all that. And when it comes to pass, I'm going to want to have him give me a call because there's other things I would like to help him with. Now, do I expect him to just simply say, okay, I repent? No, he'll probably change the date. He had something wrong. He's not going to go to church. This is an individual who claims to be a Christian, but he rejects Hebrews 10.25, which says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brothers as the habit of some, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If he thinks the day is approaching, he needs to be in fellowship, right? But he's not. That's the type of person I'm talking about. The type of person who says, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm not going to enter the promised land. And one way of looking at this is he's not really a disciple. He's doing his own thing. Scripture has no private interpretation. If one person comes up and says, 
this is what the Lord has said. And it violates scripture. The rest of the body of Christ can say, that is wrong. That is inaccurate. And we're all supposed to be able to do that. Not just the pastors and the elders and the deacons and the Bible study leaders, the people in the church that are in leadership or ministry. It's everyone that is supposed to be able to do that. Like, for instance, talking about the rapture, we need to be knowledgeable. If you talk to this guy, ask him to quote you verses where the rapture is talked about. Whether it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 or 1 Corinthians chapter 15 or John chapter 14. These types of things or the book of Isaiah chapter 25 or 26 in there. You know, he needs to be able to understand the proper use of the scripture. He is clearly in error. And the problem of not becoming a disciple is saying, no, I'm not going to enter the promised land because, you know, there's, I'm sick of church because, you know, there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. How many hypocrites do you think there are in the world? You know, you come to church and hopefully we get to work on that a little bit and the grace of God comes in and we want to be able to minister to those people, but we're called to discipleship. So that's one way of looking at it. Now, again, I wanted to digress. We have this entering the rest of salvation. Then we have the entering the rest in the promised land where we're going to have trials and tribulations, but God says, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. There's a third rest that we'll enter, and that's when we get to heaven. Now, these are my categories, but all of these are talked about in Scripture. You won't find it in this particular passage. You will find the Sabbath rest and understanding what that means. And we do understand entering the promised land. It's how we make that application of the promised land. For those who don't want to go on to become disciples, they're walking in unbelief. Now, there are ramifications to that, and you can go down some rabbit trails, and I'm not going to do that right now. But there's this other aspect as well. This idea that the Jews that Paul was talking with when he wrote this letter were more concerned about doing for God and not resting. They thought it would be better to go back to the sacrificial system and have a performance-based faith. And God does not want us to have a performance-based faith. They were more interested in this, that works were a love of expression. For the Christian, works are an expression of love. Now let me say that again. For the Christian, works are an expression of love. For the Jews who want to go back into Judaism, works were a love of expression. They, they were more concerned with how they can reach God through what they did. They were more interested in, quote-unquote, religion. Now, pure religion, undefiled, is ministering to the widows and orphans in their affliction. If you want to say you're religious, that's what you must be doing. But this idea of walking in the grace of God entering into his rest is you're not striving to please God by what we do. We are not striving to do that. We know that the works that we do are an, excuse me, an outpouring of what God has done for us. And we recognize that. 
The person who loves much does much. Or the person who is loved much, I should say, does much. They take the things of this world and they start to cast them aside. There are those who live in this world who build great kingdoms, who take their wealth, who take their power, who take their influence, and they build their kingdoms, so to speak. Like, for instance, we know of a few people that are building their kingdoms. People like Elon Musk. He's building a kingdom. We know that the people such as, his name slips my mind, Facebook. Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. You think Zuckerberg's building a kingdom? He is building a kingdom. You know, they're doing all kinds of research on how to live forever and they're spending millions of dollars and doing that. And they're, these wealthy people are building kingdoms. You know, they, they have these fiefdoms that they're setting up. They're gaining all this power. But you know what? They'll either be standing right next to us or in front of us or behind us when we all face Jesus Christ. Death is the great equalizer. There, none of us are going to take any of that with us. Whatever we possess, if we have the homes, the cars, the businesses, the relationships with other people, they're all going by the wayside. We're not taking a single thing with us. And especially the works. We will not take our works with us. Now, if the works are an outflowing of the understanding of what God has done for us, that's treasure. If we're doing our works to be seen of men and of women, we have our reward here. But if we do our works in such a way, and they cannot be hidden, but if we do them in such a way to not show other individuals, like we make a conscience effort not to put them out there, like, look what I did. Look how I'm fasting. See how my face has gotten thin? Because I'm fasting so much for the Lord. By the way, as a side note, Omar... Omar is a sold-out Sunni Muslim. He rejects the terrorists, just to let you know. He, he thinks that they're just crazies. He's more of a liberal Muslim, is what the Shia Muslims would call him. But he just told me he has been fasting for 39 days. And 39 days means at 4.30 in the morning is the last time you can eat because there's no sun on the horizon. And after 8 o'clock at night, he can eat. But during the day, he can have nothing. He he cannot have any food at all. He can have water. And that is fasting because he thinks Allah is pleased with that. Now, I have a question. Why 4.30? You know, just because light is out there? Is that when you start fasting? You know, this performance-based? He is living in a performance-based mode in his service to Allah. And Christians do that same thing. We walk in this service-based mode that I have to do this for God. Why? Not because he loves me, because God expects this of me. He expects me to walk circumspect. And you know, it's true, but it's like, I'm really not saved if I don't do this. No, that's where God's saying, enter your rest. Rest from that. The works will flow naturally. The opportunities will come and you need to take hold of them. When a door opens, Walk through it. So many of us, we just say, now there's an open door, but I'm not walking through it. God says, okay, I'll get somebody else. 
You can go ahead and you can just do what you want. Because if I walk through that door, what's God going to require of me? He wants you to die. Well, I don't want to die. I like my life just the way it is. Have you ever heard the story where some people say, well, you know, if I get saved, God might want me to become a missionary. And if I have to become a missionary, I don't want to do that. I like my family just where I am. You know, we're all missionaries in our community here. We're supposed to reach out to the people that we run across every single day. We're supposed to open our mouths and share the love of God with them as we have the opportunity. You don't just grab people by the nap of the neck on the street. You know God. You know, you don't want to do something like that. You want to reach out to the people that you know and share the love of Christ with them. And it just flows. As the analogy that I've used before, we're a fruit tree. You don't see a fruit tree struggling to produce fruit. You hear the moaning as you walk by? Oh, oh. And you have to give them an epidural because they're producing fruit. Remember, uh, another little side note, Elizabeth, she just had her baby, right? <clears throat> the little girl, Nora, and there's pictures on Facebook of Nora. And Patty was in communication with her. How, you know, we don't want any medication. We want this to be so wonderful for the baby. And, you know, it's just going to be great. And I'm determined to do it, right? And what, after 28 hours and being dilated to nine and a half centimeters, she got an epidural. She just couldn't handle the pain anymore. You know, this pain is bringing forth. We don't have to do that to produce works. The works just flow. Her baby was going to come no matter what, Right? And there is pain as we die to ourselves and we live for Christ, but it's just going to flow. It's just going to happen. We don't have to strive as long as we are walking with God, walking with Jesus Christ. But then there always seems to be this tension, this tension between works and faith, right? Some people will go through their lives and they'll say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, even though I don't have a lot of works. I trust him. I love my Lord. And then there's the other person that says, well, if you don't have works, your faith is dead. And so you have this tension that goes back. It seems to be that both Paul and James, and Paul in his letters, you know, he has Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He just gives this first theology and then he goes to this practical application. This is how you're supposed to walk in the newness of life. And he says, but it's all about God's grace. God's grace has been given to us. We don't have to strive anymore. And in this particular letter of Hebrews, it's manifested that rest in the grace of God. Don't worry about producing these works in order to maintain or obtain salvation. You don't have to do that. That's not what God is asking for. And when it comes to this idea of being saved by faith through grace, it is not works, lest any man should boast. It says that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And here, Paul being the author, he's talking about the root of our faith. One pastor has called it the root of our faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we are created for that purpose, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're saved by faith, 
not by works, but works have been prepared for us to do. Now, we have to come in line with what God wants us to do. Now, he gives us gifts in order to accomplish those works. God determined before the foundations of the earth that I would be a pastor. I had no idea. I wasn't looking forward to that. It just happened. Now, I get to die, right? In my calling, I get to die. The same thing is with all of us who are in here. If your gift is the gift of helps, you get to die. You get to show up and help and die to your own wants, cares, needs, and desires. And that is an outpouring of what God has established already in all of our lives. But then there is the fruit of faith. First, there's the root of faith. Then there's the fruit of faith that James talks about. James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder, you foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he talks about Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith, and he had these works. And so if we are believers, we will produce works. Now, the main work in that is love. And love works itself out. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But it is also ministering to the widows and orphans in their affliction. It is also also ministering to those who are in prison. If you can't go see them, then you write letters to them. It is also visiting those who cannot visit you. Uh, making sure that you are living the life that Christ would call you to live. That proves, that establishes in the minds of others your faith. You know, there, there can be simple applications of that. If somebody comes up to you and says, wow, you are really a Christian. It should be because of something you did. It shouldn't be, wow, and you're a Christian? You see the difference between the two? They, they should be looking at all of us and saying, wow, you, you really do follow Christ. Look at all you do. And the, within mind, we're not doing this for salvation. We're doing this because of the great love God had for us. This is entering into the rest of God. Our sins are forgiven. He calls us into discipleship. We're to walk in that mode, and it's going to be difficult to do that, but God calls us into that kind of relationship. And so there are those who would say, ah, you don't need those works because you're just working for your salvation. No, the works are an outpouring of the rest that we've entered into with Jesus Christ. Religion has been man's attempt in order to please God. And that's what the Jews that Paul was writing to in Hebrews wanted to revert back to. It was their attempt to, God, you're going to be pleased with this, right? And so we can come up with all these works, all these things that we'll do that God will be pleased with us. Now, God already called us to salvation. The part that we have to work out is being a disciple. He gives that to us. He says, it's your job to die. It's your job to be obedient to the calling. It's your job to walk through, it's all of our jobs, to walk through the doors that he presents to us. When we do that, there is newness of life. There's great assurance of our faith. There's this idea that we're right in the middle of God's will for us. 
And along the way, not only do we do the works, but we have to open our mouths. We have to say, this is what God has in store for you. This is the blessing that God wants to give to you. Are you willing to accept it? Most of us, we don't want to open our mouths. Why? Persecution, fear, frustration, rejection. I can promise you, if you open your mouth enough times, you're going to get opposition. But God tells us to open up our mouths. How will they hear unless somebody talks to them? How will somebody talk to them unless they are sent? And so we are sent. We are sent to our community, just like the Jews are supposed to cross the Jordan River and go into the land. They were to be God's witnesses on earth. They were the ones that were bringing the actual word of God to the people. They had it. They were God's chosen people, just as we are. And so they were unwilling, these Jews at the time of the writing of Hebrews, they were unwilling to trust in God for salvation, like you, you don't have to do anything to get saved. And that is so contrary to us. To the point these Jews that were going into the promised land, they didn't want to go. They wanted to go back to Egypt. It tells us that in Numbers chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, what would that be like for us? Again, there's two ways to look at it. There's a way that a person in the faith says, I'm not doing this anymore. And they leave the faith. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to go be under the sin and judgment of the world. Those people, I believe, were never saved. Then there are those people who will trust in God themselves. They will not want to go back to Egypt. They will not want to do that. They will resign themselves to this submission of the Jews were the ones that were in error wanting to go back to Egypt. That's why, for us, we're not supposed to mix the world with our Christendom. God says we're to hate the world. The world hates us. We're to hate the world. Not the people in the world. God loves them. But the ways of the world, we're to forsake that. We're never supposed to say, you know, this Christianity thing is hard. This being a disciple thing is hard. I, you know, I'm just going to give it up. I'm not going to do it anymore. So there's that discipleship way of looking at it. Then there's also the resting in God. Don't be so worried. Don't be so grumbling. Don't be so complaining. Yeah, it's hard, but guess what's waiting for you? Guess what's waiting for all of us? This glory that's in heaven. Now, I am 58. Pretty soon I'm going to be 60. You know, I'm I'm skipping over 59 because I know I'm going to be hitting 60 here pretty soon. And I was thinking about my kids the other day and how short of time I had with them being in my house. The little children... The running back and forth, me slapping my head. Oh, they little children going to make me go crazy. My wife saying the same thing. You kids are going to drive us nuts, you know. And, and they've grown up and they become adults. But the time that was spent with them was just so small. And then I started thinking about my whole life. School was 
a whisper. High school, just a faint, you know, just spark. And I've gotten so far. And what's left? It's going to go so fast. I'm going to be gone, you know, in a couple decades, if Lord willing. You know, maybe I'll make it to 80. Maybe I won't. It could be tomorrow. I don't know. But it's so quick. And why should I complain about it? It's going to be over so soon. You know, Elizabeth having her baby, she may have thought that 28 hours or 31 hours was so long. It's over. It's done. The baby's here. She's standing next to the baby and smiling in her Facebook post. And the baby's in the little plastic crib right there. It's done. It's over. And same thing with her becoming an adult. It's going to be over like that. And we can complain and we can be full of sorrow and just say, this is not fair. But God says, don't. Just rest. Just don't worry about this. And so the Jews, they were making this error. And as Christians, we can make this error as well. Paul later warns them not to return to the sacrifices and shrink back from following Christ by faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're going way ahead. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. And so there's this tension. We want to just slack off. God says, don't. Through Paul in this epistle here to the Hebrews. So I've summarized this. There's the Sabbath rest, salvation, the Jews coming out of Egypt. This bondage to sin, they enter that rest where they don't have to worry about that. Then there's this entering rest, going into the land of Canaan, the promised land for the Jews. And even though there would be trials, they were going to be okay because God would go before them if they would just trust. So what might a life of a Christian look like if he has failed to enter into the promised land? Always laboring, never longing for a relationship with Jesus. It could be always doing, but never seeking the divine. It's like we're so concerned about getting things done that we don't spend time with him. Always striving to be accepted through works, but never sitting with the ex- and accepting God's word. You know, how often do we spend time in his word or listening to it? Never reverence, but always penance. God, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing it correctly. Just please forgive me. And of course, there's a place for repentance of sin. I'm not saying there's not. But the whole focus is on doing rather than on being. Christ wants you to rest. He wants you to just say, okay, God, whatever your will, wherever you would take me, whatever you would have me do, however you would have me open my mouth, just guide me. May your spirit just flow from within, overflowing. And... He also cautions in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And of course, this is about the Judaizers who said you had to be circumcised and live by the law of Moses in order to be saved. And of course, this turned into Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas went to the council in Jerusalem and James spoke for all of Christendom that we don't have to live like the Jews under the law. We don't have to worry about this performance-based faith. We can rest in Jesus Christ and what he has done. It's like this, abiding in the vine. If we abide in the vine, we will just grow. We will just produce the way he wants us to. This was also exemplified by a woman who expressed her belief 
in an act of love in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. It talks about, and it is believed to be Mary, the mother of Lazarus, mother, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. She broke the alabaster box in this ointment, this perfume, and put it on Jesus' hair and on his feet, and she wiped her, um, his feet with her hair. And remember when Mary was also sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she was just listening to his teaching, and Martha was in the kitchen doing? Remember that, that story? And Martha was just exasperated. Will you tell Mary to come out here and help me fix these rolls and get this pita bread ready? And she's just sitting there. What? She's not doing anything. And Jesus says, she has chosen the better place. She is resting at his feet. Jesus calls us to be like Mary. Rest at his feet. All the rest of it just happens. To give you a little illustration of this, over the last year, I have been listening to Dr. Bill Warner. Dr. Bill Warner talks about political Islam on YouTube. And he has some teaching that are an hour long. He gives the history of Islam, where they have gone through Europe and all through the Middle East and the north of Africa, going down into Africa and how they have made this conquest. And it's kind of like the book, The Looming Tower, if you're familiar with that and some other books, what every um, American needs to know about the Quran. I've read that book and gone through there. And just everything the Muslims have done over the history of the last like, thousand years or so making this conquest. And, and then I just recently went through this book, how God is speaking to the Muslims in dreams and in visions. And I've gone through all of this. And I said this fleeting prayer. I said, God, bring me a Muslim. I'm meeting one today. You know, he, he set it up in advance to do that. And that's how we're supposed to be preparing. Now, I feel inadequate. I feel like I don't remember enough from all that material. You know, God, help me to remember what you have taught me through these people. And and so I sit at the feet of Jesus trying to learn this stuff. And again, I'm not the good example to look to. It is Jesus and the apostles that he set up that says, this is how we're supposed to do it. And those who have been an example to me, this is how you're to live your life. And if you do, God will set you up in those positions to be used. And if we're being that disciple, God will use us. If we're not, we'll find the doors don't open and we can have a lackluster faith. We won't have the challenges ahead of us. And so it is incumbent upon us to make sure that we are spending time resting with God. Verse 8. Ah, we're at the top of the hour. I am beyond my time here. Would the worship team come up, please? I'm sorry to be so late. I get wrapped up in what God's word has to say here, and it just sends me for a loop. To close this out here, and I'll deal with it uh, this next week. I pray that you are able to rest, that you are able to wait for God, that you're able to be in his word, that you're able to pray and ask him for help and direction and strength and the filling of the spirit, that you're able to rest in that. And you're not striving like these Jews wanted to strive in the book of Hebrews to go back to the sacrificial system. 
knowing that God loves us so much. He loves you so much that he sent his son. Now we're going to be receiving communion here just to remind us of that sacrifice that he has made for us. But I don't want to delay anymore. I don't want this to run on simply for the sake of those who are teaching the children over there. So if you guys would come forward and get this communion and pass it out and please hold on to it until we can all participate in receiving it together.